In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. St. Paul's message in the epistle comes about in the context of a much longer discussion of the legitimacy of his and the other apostles' ministry. In short, there were some people who were going around having lots of letters of recommendation that commended their skills as preachers and pastors. The Corinthian church uh, apparently inquired into St. Paul's list of references at some point, and in response, St. Paul cuts across all the rhetoric of needing approval through the letters of recommendation, and he cuts to the heart of the matter. He points out that it turns out that competency alone is an insufficient foundation for the ministry that he and the other apostles are performing. The distinction here is between outward signs of competence and the notion of divine calling. Both are good things, but we're mistaken when we confuse them with each other. St. Paul illuminates this point by connecting it to a comparison between the law given to Moses and the Holy Spirit given to the church. His argument runs something like this. If the good thing that was given to Israel was good, even though it was meant to give away to something else, how much better is this good thing that is here forever? He does not deny the goodness of either thing, but puts them in their proper order and calls his readers to attend first to the things that last forever and then the things that are temporary. St. Paul is also putting in order the way he wants us to think about how our own lives work. Based on his comparison here, he's reminding us of the gospel truth that what we do on the outside is not enough by itself if we're not transformed on the inside. And so when he says, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life, he is making all of these statements at once. Our good works are important, only so long as they are evidence of transformation of our souls. The way that this rightly ordered sense of things manifests itself is in a rightly ordered trusting God. St. Paul's trusting God is such that he can openly acknowledge that he is insufficient to complete the work that he's setting about to do and must therefore conclude that God is the one who performs the work through him. But in doing so, Paul makes an example of himself as to what it looks like to put one's trust in the things that last forever, to see everything else in relationship to those things. It's on this point that the connection between the epistle and the gospel hinges. In our lesson, Jesus heals the man of his infirmities, and then very strangely, tells him and everyone else not to speak of it to anyone. The reason for this is one of those ponderous moments in the Bible. One explanation that's been offered, though, is that Jesus is concerned for people to learn why they should seek after him. At many points in the Gospels, we see people coming to Jesus to have their immediate felt needs met. Jesus is merciful, and oftentimes he does meet their immediate needs. But there are also times when Jesus observes that the people are seeking him only to have their felt needs met. So what are we to learn from this? First, it's clear that Jesus has mercy on our needs and on our weakness. 
But Jesus' mercy is such that it will not stop merely at our momentary needs. That is one of the reasons why Jesus does miracles in the first place, to give us a sign in the moment of what he is doing forever. Miracles, like the healing miracle in the gospel, accomplish the relief of a momentary need in order to indicate what God is going to do permanently in the resurrection. This truth informs how we think of God, how we pray to God to be, for him to be present in our own needs. Sometimes we get the habit of putting God into one of two boxes. Either he meets the needs I pray for, or he doesn't care. This is a false dichotomy. God is concerned for one thing, and one thing only. And that is to bring us to the everlasting healing of the resurrection and life with him in rest and peace forever. All other matters are secondary to this destiny. The way God answers prayer has this shape. Whatever will bring us there to the resurrection, that is the thing that God will always will and desire for us. This sometimes runs across our own desires and immediate concerns. What we see in front of us and the what we see what is in front of us and the temptation is to place that on the same level as those ultimate things. This is where that trust that Paul mentions comes in. And we must have it or else we're lost. We have to trust that God is always working to bring us to an eternal good despite what our immediate circumstances may be. Sometimes, God brings relief in the here and now. For these things, we should be thankful, but we should always regard them as signposts of the healing that is yet to come. Sometimes, trust looks like faithfulness even as we experience the pain and brokenness of this transitory life and be, by being courageous to hope that God is, even in the midst of sorrow, bringing us to a place of wholeness and home and rest. Such is the trust that we are called to have toward God. And thus we pray in the collect this morning. Almighty and everlasting God, who, are, who is always more ready to hear than we are to pray, and who always desires to give us more, than we desire or deserve. Pour out the abundance of your mercy upon us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive.